Kia team and welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast, a platform to dive deep into the minds of incredible Kiwis who have a story worth sharing. My name's Noel Wolof and on today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Peter Barrett. When I think of Peter, I think of somebody who's a leader. On top of being a rapper and an author, Peter is also the founder of Shoebox Christmas, a co-papa that he set up a few years ago, which last year delivered over 15,000 Christmas presents to Tamariki across Aotearoa. As always team, I hope that the podcast is providing value to you. If you are enjoying the episodes and the podcast, please remember to spread the word and leave it a five-star review on Spotify. You'd be a bloody legend. Welcome to episode number 12. Oh, kia ora bro. Yeah, uh, firstly, nēra timiki a koe mō tō manaki. Thank you for, for having me here and for hosting this, uh, this kaupapa. Uh, he uri tēnei nō uh, Ngāti Raukaua ki te tonga, a te atiawa ki whakarongotai Ngāti Tōranga Tiro hoki, uh, i te pōwaka ki ōtaki, i noho ana mā tōku tōku whānau ki taua nāi nei. So I'm... Um, I call Peter Barrett Tōku My name's Peter, as you know. Uh, so I'm uh, descended from the iwi of Ngāti Tō Rangatira, uh, Te Atiawa Ki Whakarongotai and Ngāti Raukua Ki Te Tonga. Uh, that's where I come from and contribute to. Uh, grew up in Ōtaki and uh, living, am living down here in Tawa now, just down the road with yeah. Kahu and uh, my daughter Huhana and my beautiful wife Danielle. Awesome. Cheers, bro. Well, um... You're somebody who wears so many different hats and when I was speaking to people and they're like, oh, who have you got on the podcast next? I find I found it really hard to sum you up within <laughs> just like a title. You know, you might say someone's a public speaker or they're an author or they're mm. a musician, but you wear so many different hats and titles. So do, do you mind just speaking into how you got into finding your why and your purpose mm. to drive all of the good shit that you do? Yeah, cool. Oh, kia ora, bro. Thank you. Um... I mean, I, I, and that's a question that I find hard to answer myself, you know, what do you do? And so I kind of started thinking a little bit differently and, and started thinking about, well, um, you know, regardless of what I do, like, what am I being? What am I trying to be? And so I, I um, now I try and answer that where, where I can without sounding ridiculous with the answer of, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an ancestor, uh, I'm a tūpuna, sorry, I'm a, I'm a descendant and I'm a tūpuna, so I'm a descendant from those iwi that I mentioned, and I'm a, um, a future tūpuna or future ancestor to them. Mm. And so what that means is that I'm, like, what I'm trying to be is somebody who is uh, making, who, who is doing justice to what has come before me and who and where I've got whatever usefulness I have mm. from, right, because that's come from them. Uh, and then I'm thinking about how I can be a good Tupuna or good ancestor, how do I use those to make things uh, better for those after me and those mm. here now, right? Um, and so, and then I and then I have another thing about like I'm also just trying to love my life and trying to be happy. And so, the the magic of that happens when I can go the stuff that I'm doing achieves those two things of mm. being a good descendant and being a good future ancestor. And I love doing what I'm doing, mm. you know. And so those things that I do, how I go about doing that, are, are almost irrelevant as long mm. as I am achieving those things. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's, it, it actually, it's. Um, I heard from uh, Te Puuho Katine um, was was talking somewhere and said, said um, you know, you write your strategies, you you write your values in pen and your strategies in pencil, and so that's kind of how I go about my life I guess mm. those are the things I want to um, to be my, the, the values that I hold and what I want to achieve how I go about doing that is through whatever mm. um, through, mm. through whatever I enjoy the most mm. I guess is probably the key yeah if we can rewind back to yeah that's a big let's broad. say <laughs> if we can rewind back to like let's say a 16 year old Peter mm. and your sort of adolescence and your journey growing up what were some of the key pivotal milestones or situations in your life which has made you be the man that you are today? Mm. Um, I think when I, uh, and I know like, you know, we've talked before and uh, we'll talk later on today as well, I, I guess about role modelling stuff, right? Yes. And so I think about when I grew up, so I grew up in Ōtaki and lived there until I came down to Wellies for uni. But the beautiful thing about Ōtaki is that it is still a collective, right? So mm. it's it's... The the iwi who are from there are still there. They still have some of we still have some of our land. We still have our marae there, um, and so we have this collective community, uh, which which then means that 
as sick as a 16 year old peter my role models and the people who i saw around me were the components of that community right mm. so all of the you know like i had hundreds of role models mm. um because uh like i mean and if I, if we think about role models role models are only useful if you can actually perceive yourself being them yep. right like you know you, there's the you know if you see it you can be it if you can't see it, you can't be it all that cool yep. at all which is true but only true if there's proximity there and you can imagine yourself actually doing what that mm. person that you're seeing is doing and so you need to be we don't need to be but they're, they're more effective if they are similar to you right That's so true. in Otaki, i had role models from all over all, all you know literally gangsters and drug dealers to police people police officers um business people entrepreneurs farmers fisher people you know um so the the beautiful thing about growing up in Otaki was I had all of these role models. I had all of these things that I thought I could be if I wanted to. Um, that in itself was pretty pivotal. You know, I don't. I think there are too many instances of those people doing things um, that had ha that have had an impact on my life. To even think of one in particular, right? Mm. But probably the most pivotal thing that they all did was actually bring me along with them on the things they were doing, whether mm. it was going up into the bush hunting, whether it was, you know, dad taking me to the, um, you know, some of these community cope up that he was working on, or to the marae, or mum taking me up to the, um, you know, out with her to cut flax, all those things, you know, yeah. that that then meant I felt like they were things I could do, you know, so I, I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to do um, bone carving at the moment, I say mm. I'm trying to do because I'm not a, don't get it, get confused and think I'm a carver, you know, I just enjoy carving yep, and, and, yep. I'm, and I'm making things from bone. Um, but no doubt, part of the reason I'm doing that is because mum took me out with her to cut flax while she was going about her, so she's a weaver and she was doing weaving. And so I thought, well, I could make something with my hands because mm. mum's doing it, you know, subconsciously, obviously. Yeah. But um, that to me is the, the most pivotal thing about my childhood growing up around all of those role models. Mm. And the fact that some of them were, you know, doing things that weren't good as well. Mm. Because that then makes me know that the the possibilities are endless, but you are shaped by what you see. Like yeah. if I had only seen one 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 kind of role model growing up, it's pretty likely that I would have wound up somewhere similar to them. You know, mm. if if I'd only seen mum weaving and that was all I grew up around, I'd probably be doing that. If I'd only seen you know someone mm. selling drugs, I probably would have ended up doing that. Mm. That's a really good point. Um, do you think that's a small town thing? Part of the fact that it's small ma probably makes it easier. I mean, you know, they talk about, you know, like we, we have our iwi structures and then we have hapu, our, our sub-tribes, and yep. that's, you know, that was the ideal working size of a community, right? Yep. Um, and then other cultures talk about, you know, 200 people being the, the right kind of grouping size mm. of a, that's an operational unit where you as a leader can care for them, you as a community can work together. Um so no doubt it's got some, I mean, obviously there's more than 200 people in Otaki, but, you know, it's got something to do with the size, but I think also just something to do with the, the retaining of that, um, of that iwi tanga and that um, working as a group, working mm. as an iwi, living as an iwi. And, you know, I mean, by that I really just mean the marae being there, the iwi still mm. being there. Um, I'd say it's partly to do with that and partly to do with the size. Um, and that's probably another thing that... Um, you know, because that's just luck on on my part, right? Growing up there, mm. um, and so when I when I if I think about why I am where I am now, which is someone who is doing the things that he loves mm. for the reasons that I believe in, you know, I'm, I'm I've I've been able to align my mahi to my values and enjoy my mahi, which is pretty pretty massive, right? That's a pretty fortunate position mm. to be in. Mm. And the only reason that that is true for me is because I was lucky enough to grow up in Ōtaki with the parents that I had mm -hmm. and the aunties and uncles that I have. Um, you know, that that's pure luck. That's mm -hmm. not that's not me being amazing. That's just it's not even mum and dad being amazing. Mm -hmm. It's the luck that they had to be raised by their parents. You know, yeah. um, and there's heaps of research about that stuff, right? About how from a like for business, you know, obviously people study it more when you're looking at business people and successful entrepreneurs and that kind of thing. That so much of that is due to luck. Mm. Um, like I was reading the study where they were, they did, um, they compared communities and they looked at some where they had, these were actually created communities and they'd mm. created these um, uh, 
um, events of fortune, so like these kind of serendipitous connections between people uh, and things like that, and the, the success of those individuals in there was mass was huge compared to ones where they had either no no positive fortune. So you know, and these are things like in the real world, uh, you know. Your dad knowing somebody who works at a place yes. who's got a job going, yes. you know, uh, your. That's um, how I got my first job. Yeah, you actually. know all, all that yeah. stuff. You know the the lucky stuff. You know your your dad knowing somebody who's or your mum knowing somebody who works somewhere whose um, friend mentioned that you were looking for a job mm. and goes, oh, I've got a job going here, as opposed to not having that fortune, that that positive luck. You know the the success, yeah. and I'm doing the inverted commas things. Oh, we're on camera. That's right. <laughs> uh, you know the success of that person. Uh, was much more dependent on those elements of luck and those mm. fortunate events than on their um, talent, and mm. so they, you know, they built that into the study. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a. So ultimately, what I my most pivotal moment when I was sixteen was being lucky, mm, <laughs> mm, being lucky to be where you were situated exactly. in the world. Yeah, and uh, I just it makes me think so much. My mum for a long time she did a lot of sort of respite care looking after kids in mm. Oranga Tamariki. And, you know, these are children just like, you know, your child, your children, my daughter. Um, but the fact is I've just been dealt a really shit pair of hands mm. at life. Mm. You know, the deck of hands that they've been given has been full of like the worst cards you can possibly yep. imagine. Yet another kid... And you'll probably see this a lot of your mahi, like kids are all the same. They mm. all want the same mm. thing. They all want to be loved. They all want connections to other people. Um, but the reality of it is, is that there's so much luck involved to mm. where you grow up and the circumstances surrounding you. Mm. And even two, three, four bad decisions can turn you on a pathway that is just put, you know, you're up shit's creek mm. pretty much. Um, yeah. Do you do you see that now a lot with 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 some of your mahi, including shoebox Christmas, with kids who aren't fortunate enough to to have a Christmas at all? Yeah, I mean, I guess the in that mahi in particular, um, I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't work with those children outside of that time of Christmas, right? I mean, I will spend time at the schools and, and hang out with them, but like you say, at a school. Everyone is just all kids are kids, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So I mean, what I what I actually think more about is, um, and I'll come back to the shoebox stuff, but you know, just carrying on that cordial for a second before I forget it. So, like, what's really important to me as a parent now is trying to create that luck for yeah. for our kids, and um, you know, and that's part of the reasoning that uh, sits behind shoebox Christmas as yeah. well, which I'll talk about in a second. But like, for me as a dad to think, how do I make my kids as resilient as possible? How do I help our kids as a community be as resilient as possible? Um, knowing that like your resilience is actually about how you uh, engage with, how, how you interact with your ecosystem and your environment, right? Like people talk about resilience as a th individual trait or a thing that a person has. Actually, it's about how you, um, how your environment responds to you and how you respond to your environment really mm -hmm. so you know if you have a, a so if you think about it you know a tree in the forest right you have a big strong tree sitting there and you might go oh that tree is massively resilient like actually it's getting smashed by these winds but it's only still standing because its roots are uh, deep enough in the ground which mm. is firm enough which has enough water to make those roots carry on growing it's probably got some other sort of shrubs around the, yeah. the edges which are stop you know which are buffeting those winds to go up mm. you know um targeting that wind to go up a bit and, and hit the top instead of the trunk all the time mm. like all of that stuff is actually why that tree is resilient um and the same is true for a person right so for those uh, if we think about the the, the tamariki who receive um koha through shoebox christmas or gifts through shoebox christmas that act of giving those uh those children a gift is actually about letting them know that you're part of this ecosystem you're part of this community right mm. you are one of those trees and the people out here are the soil and actually they care you know all these people care um and you know one of the one of the trickier things just to get detailed about shoebox at the moment um one of the, the tricky things with with that cope up is making sure that it's uh, it's not a thing for poor kids, right? Like the the gifting of these these presents is about, you know, a lot of the schools do all of the kids at the at the school, um, and I've had to weigh up in my mind like, is that the right thing for 
for people gifting to do? You know, like do they um, do they want to give a gift to everybody at that school? And so I, you know, I try to be as transparent about that as yeah. I can. Um, but the the reality is, like, without doing that, you have to target these kids and make them feel like mm. they're um, they're different more than they already feel, right? Mm. Because what those kids actually want to know, and this is, you know, we have this called it all the schools, is that they are just as deserving as everybody else in their school uh, and in their community, sorry. Um, and the minute you go, well, here's the, you know, here's the, the present for only for you, it's a special one, it's a shoebox mm. Christmas present, you know, you are, you're saying, well, okay, you're different to these other kids yeah, in the, yeah, in the yeah, school, yeah, right, yeah. in the community. You're not part of that environment, you're different, you're treated. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, which... And this, you know, I, I try to think as long-term about this stuff as I can. Like, for that day and for that week, they might just feel the love and the, the, the aroha at being given this thing from their community. But what does that mean in six months' time or in five years' time when they're like, oh, I was one of the kids who got the, you know, the shoebox. All mm. I got was the shoebox present, you know? Mm. Um, whereas if in five years' time what they're thinking is, oh, our community cares about us kids, mm. all of us. Um, and I was one of those kids, all of us, in the community. Mm. You know, that's a different whakaaro, a different pattern of thinking that they'll have in five years' time. So Yeah, um, yeah that's a really good point. Um, when we, if we just circle back to starting up Shoebox Christmas, mm. how did that initiative come about? Can you talk through the sort of thought process and the situations leading up to actually, hey, I've got this really cool idea mm. and I'm going to make it, make it happen? Yeah, um, so... It's it's nothing as grand as 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 it might sound like at, at the start. Um, so really, a friend of a friend of mine, because shoebox Christmas is an idea that happens all around the world, right? Yep. Like people people send gifts off to other countries and to, to other places um, from here as well. But uh, a friend was doing something similar with someone in Auckland, um, and she was like, "Oh, you should try and do something. You should try and do this down here." And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds like a cool idea." I was already working with this with the school Glenview um, Primary out in yep. Porirua. Um, and so I just said, hey, you know, if, if I could do it, do you reckon it would be worth trying to get Christmas presents for, for all the kids here? And the school was like, yeah, for sure. You know, like I knew them, they, mm -hmm. they, they knew me. Um, and so we, that, that first year, I kind of hit up a bunch of friends, you know, on, and well, this was back when, you know, uh, what wasn't here. Uh, Instagram wasn't here. A bunch of things weren't here. But well, Instagram didn't exist <laughs> no, at some stage. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it existed. I should, it may have, but I didn't use it. Yeah. But 2014 anyway. So um, uh, started working with this one school and had uh, you know Facebook Messenger and a, and a Google spreadsheet. Yeah. Uh, went and tried to find enough friends to get koha for these 80 kids at, at um, Glenview Primary. Is that um, what was identified as kids who go without, you know, experiencing any no, sort of presence or? No, just all the, all the kids at all Glenview. All the kids. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and, and at that time when I was still kind of figuring the, figuring out what, how I might make this useful, my reasoning was really that like all of the kids here, um, and my, my thinking is different on it now, all of the kids here, uh, could do with some extra love, you know, um, whether it's because things are really hard at home. Uh, and for some of those kids, absolutely it is, you know, like um, I think they're decile one A maybe. Mm. Well, they were, I actually haven't, well, deciles don't even exist anymore, but, mm. you know, at the time they were the, you know, yep. the, 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 the low end of the decile rating. Yep. They had a lot of challenges at, at their school, but they also had like a whole lot of love, right? Like the, the teachers there are incredible. Mm. The, the whānau events when when everybody comes along are incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know what what it was like. It's a, it's a beautiful community, mm. right? So, the the um, my thinking at the time was everybody here would benefit from getting some extra love at Christmas time from their community. Nice. Um, and it was simple kind concept. of yeah, pretty pretty yeah. simple. Um, and so then. That at the end of that year, uh, there were more kids. There were more people who signed up than there were kids at the school, wow. um, and so I was like, "Oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah, this definitely works. You know, people do want to do it." Um, and 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 even just the corridor that started happening from that that first year, with people kind of reaching out to me, going like, "Wait, are there kids who actually don't get Christmas presents?" Mm. Uh, and I'll be like, "Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's kids who have a way worse." time of it than just not getting Christmas presents, you know, like just that, um, that get that gap of understanding yeah. was, was actually an eye opener for me. I was like, I hadn't actually considered that people might not realize that this is, you know, that reality is very different for different people. You know, I mean, that is a concept shouldn't mm. be surprising. That's how 
people are, uh, one, especially once we get out of that collectiveness, right? Totally. And even sitting here filming this podcast in Paramata in Porirua, we can travel, you know, 15 minutes to East Porirua and it mm. can be a total different environment than mm. what we're sitting in right now. Yeah. Um, and I've always sort of grown up around here and I've got, you know, family in Cannons Creek and sometimes in winter where I'm cold trying to save power rugged up you know in like five different blankets i'm mm. like shit there's so many families that have it so much worse mm. and some like that don't even have the ability to you know turn on a heater to, mm. to warm up because they don't have enough money to pay for their power bill yeah, yeah. like the it's so diverse in potido yeah. i think that's what lots of people might not understand mm. like you've got the affluent areas of whitby and mm. altair suburbs but there's two two ends of the coin for yeah. sure yeah yeah and so um each year that same thing happened so you know there were more people who wanted to take part so each year i'd add on a few more schools i'd go oh cool i reckon we could you know yep. um help out with another another three schools yep. um there, there's enough people who signed up last year uh and yeah every year that that same thing happened and, and i guess one of the things that i that i was lucky enough to bring into that kopapa was a um like my day job had been uh, working in, well, actually not for the whole time, but was working in, pro in product. So as a digital product owner where the idea is you have a thing and you try to iterate it and make yep. it better based on how it works, right? Based on how people react to it and, and use it. And so the it's quite cool to look back and go 2014 through to to last year about the, the amount of kind of improvements and you know based on what people found hard last year how can we make it easier how can we make it better um you know from that 80 80 tamariki in 2014 to last year um across the across Aotearoa um there were 17,000 tamariki who, who received koha through the kaupapa um and that's through like an, an entirely different the thing is an entirely different shape now right so uh we before so the very first years people would come and drop the gift off to me at, at my work and then you know at christmas time i'd drive them out to the schools you know yep. by once there were a few schools in there then a couple of mates would help me drive them out um then about kind of halfway through between uh the start and where we are now uh i was like oh there's there's too many of these gifts and it's taking up too much space at mm. work so um reached out to dhl and dhl said yeah cool you can you we're happy to help out um and so we ended up Taking over like a third of their warehouse space out the out of the, the warehouse at it um uh, out by the airport like you know at that point there were probably about four thousand ish gifts for Wellington and so that's a whole like wall of of a warehouse right and then we'd have to go and sort them figure out which schools they were going to drive mm. them out to all the schools and mm. DHL would help with that and a bunch of mates would too but once it got really big it was it, that became uh, you know every single weekend from sort of September to December was in there sorting these presents wow. and it was like I can't keep doing that and I I've probably about that time our eight-year-old was probably being you know uh, getting to the point where I can't spend that much time away from yep. home uh, so then we changed the process to uh, a, a gift and now takes it directly out to the place to the office of the school or to the office of the community mm -hmm. service or whatever um, and that's kind of how it works now and that was a you know just getting to that point meant that now when people go and take their gift they're even more connected into their community and you know the feedback mm. from people who take part is massive around um the, the 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 enjoyment they get of connecting with their community just by that thing of going to the school as well mm. you know seeing you know the kids at the school that they're giving to running around the kids often will, will be there as well but thank you thank you so much and, you know that's a whole nother layer of connecting in and another benefit of the kaupapa that i had never even thought of back in 2014 right mm. like the 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 aspect of what the gifter gets from it yeah. is actually just as an important and beneficial and valuable thing to try and draw out because mm. the more connected those gifters feel into our community the, the stronger our community is right and the mm. more resilient our community is and the mm. more resilient that that little tree who's standing there gets because you know again that that soil is actually be really excited about you know mm. being firm and, and helping the roots grow of that tree mm. um what, why do you think we've sort of lost so much of the sense of community is it because we're you know growing up in more sort of urban cities work is more fast-paced than it ever has been social media is there we're more connected but disconnected mm. what is it which is putting people away from feeling like they are a part of this sort of ecosystem which you've been describing 
Like if you go to Instagram and look up, and I don't even know how you do this, I don't use Instagram very often, I post and I don't do much else. Um, you know, if you look up success quotes or, or motivational quotes, pretty much all of the stuff you'll see is how you be successful as an individual, right? Like what is, you know, right. yeah. you know, how to get to great, how to yep. getting from good to great. Or, all those you know, hustle. Motiva- like, exactly, yeah. hustle, hustle billionaires. All that stuff is about how you be successful as an individual, right? But like back to that quote before about, you know, 200 people being the right kind of size of a, of a grouping apparently. Um, indigenous cultures especially like still have re- retained that grouping of this is us as a collective, right? Mm. And, and, your success as an individual only matters if it's success for us as a collective. Mm. Um, but I think because of things like, I mean, capitalism plays a massive part, right? We, mm-hmm. Where success is actually how much money you make. So yeah. if you're a, um, you know, you are a, a, a toy company and you make, you know, $50 million through making toys and you're the owner of that, you're the CEO and so you're, you're a multi, multi-millionaire. If you're part of my collective, if you're part of my, and this is my personal take, and I wouldn't say I'm that uh, unusual in it, but I don't actually care if you're successful. If you have, I don't care if you've got $50 million or you've got $50,000. I mean, I care if you don't have enough money to uh, to thrive mm. for you to succeed as an individual, mm. as in live. But if you're not contributing back into the collective, then who cares if you've made $50 million? Mm. You know, like there's the, the um, and again, I think this is a Te Pūhu Kātini Kōrero, who's a, a dude from, from Ngāti Tōa, uh, and he talks about, well, it might not be, sorry if it's not yours, bro, but I've heard you talk about it, but kumara economics, where they talk about like, you know, a kumara is only useful for feeding people, right? Like that's its purpose. Mm-hmm. And money is the same, right? Money is useful for feeding people. That's what it's there for. So if you make $50 million um, and it costs you $100,000 to live and to feed your whanau and your family, like what is the the other 49990000 or whatever? Goodness. <laughs> dollars, yeah, yeah. What is that other 49-odd million yeah. dollars for? You know, like, mm. and if you're not going, and, and if, you, if you're making that $49 million and you're just redistributing that wealth to your to the people around you and to the collective, then awesome, that's mm. that's true. But you have to do that intentionally because, you know, we know that like trickle-down economics does not work, right? No. It's not a thing or we wouldn't be in the situation we're yeah. in. So if you have all of that money and you are not intentionally making the rest of, our people, your people, humans, your EV, mm. your collective, your community, your town, whatever, successful, then what's that $49.9 million even for? Yeah. You know? Like yeah. if you get another car, another 15 cars, another house, another whatever, you get to fly around in a private jet, yeah. you get to move over to Dubai and buy jewelry or whatever, like who cares? Yeah. Except for you. And maybe that's cool, that's up to you. But mm. that is not helping anybody else's success right and mm. i've seen people talk about well you know what i do is i share how i'm how i'm achieving my wealth and you know i'm, I'm spreading the knowledge and mm. all that it's like what but if that was all it took there's a lot of books out there about succeeding there's a lot of youtube channels about succeeding yeah. like that's not what it takes what it takes is us actually thinking as a collective mm. and if you are not intentionally re- redistributing that wealth thinking about how you can actually use that money to you know, build your business in a way that actually helps other people properly, mm. you know, not helps other people get rich because mm. that's not, you know, we already know that doesn't work. That's that's literally destroying the planet. You yeah, know? yeah. I want to get back to some of those points in a second. Just totally agree with everything that you're saying. I'm just thinking of some like classic examples of people which I may or may not follow on, you know, social media and their whole stick is mm. just like flaunting their yeah, flamboyant yeah, yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. And you see so many quotes i think steve jobs i wish i could remember it but he had a really good quote i think like on his deathbed talking Mm. about all the hours that he's put in obviously he's built this insanely successful innovative company which has changed the world Mm. but he was pretty much saying all of this time that you're putting into it for the monetary gain is not that that all doesn't matter at the end of the Mm. day when you're on your deathbed like are you really going to be bothered that you worked a 60 hour week Mm. um or or chose to work over being with your family it's the relationships and Mm. the memories which really matter most yeah um i did want to ask you peter when starting up shoebox christmas and 
if we're thinking about saying this to somebody who's listening to this podcast right now who might have an idea mm. but don't know how to get started, what are, let's say, two or three hot tips that you can give them? Mm. Bro, like, definitely. So think about, so, and, and, I'll, and I'll answer that by referencing this example and then I'll come back and make it more uh, this more specific, I guess. But So Shoebox Christmas was, you know, 80 kids at Glenview Primary getting a Christmas gift in 2014. And this year, it's, you know, last year it was 17,000 kids across Aotearoa. This year it's a Arangatahi leadership program with six Arangatahi um, learning, so leading the project in their areas, learning transferable skills that they'll be able to take out into other places, including like the skill of being a role model and sharing what they've learned. Um, so kind of creating leaders who can create leaders and who can find work that they mm. love doing, which is awesome, right? And and that was never the plan. I never thought that's what it would be because I didn't even know if it would work trying to help these 80 kids have a choice Christmas. Um, but having, but the, the, the MVP and the smallest slice of getting to where we are today, back in 2014, was going to that school and saying, could I could I try and help these help eighty kids have a choice Christmas? Mm -hmm. You know, so figuring out and the test there was whether or not there were going to be enough people to actually do it. You know, mm -hmm. to, to sign up and, and and get involved. So the 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 biggest piece of advice that I always give is find the smallest possible version of the thing that you want to achieve, right? And and figure out how you make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like now we have a website, we have a, we're building a platform, a second platform. We've got all these things that do it. If I had gone in 2014, you know, I want to, um, I want to have a website and a platform um, and a, a rangatahi coaching uh, leadership element as well. Um, and, you know, I, I want to um, do all these things. Mm. Before you'd even started. Before I'd even started, I would have. And I mean, you can you can define those things as aspirations, right? Mm. Like that that's always that's always useful, or sometimes useful. But if you haven't figured out what's the smallest thing that I can do to figure out if this is even a viable idea, um, you know, if this is even a uh, if this thing could exist in reality, mm. because there's a you know there's a million ideas that I've had that cannot exist in reality. Mm. Um, some of them I've tried, some of them I've just gone, that's stupid, Peter, what are you doing? You've already got enough ideas that you're trying to bring <laughs> to life. But, um, you know, find the thing that you can slice, find the smallest possible slice of your outcome that you're working for and figure out how you will make that be a thing. You know, what needs to be true for that to happen. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like I say, for me that was finding the school who I knew. So, mm. you know, and, 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 you know, there's, you can dive down deeper into how do I find what the MVP is, right? You go, what are the opportunities that I already have that I can leverage? Yep. Um, you know, my, my, my workmate Ben um, just showed me this thing the other day, just in case you're listening, Ben, so you don't think that I'm trying to steal your, your court at all, um, but about, you know, bright spots and things that you can leverage, you know, what already exists that you can, um, yeah, leverage, make the most of. So for me, in that case, it was I already have a relationship with the school, Glenview, um, so I can leverage that relationship to test this idea. And that sounds mechanical and, and kind of gross when you say it, but, you know, that's just, if you're thinking mm, about it in a business mm. sense, that's what it is. Um yeah, that's that's always the single biggest piece of advice that I mm. that I give is find your MVP mm. and then you work backwards from there. How do I build the MVP? All that stuff is is pretty mechanical, but um, yeah, and part part of that includes knowing who you're doing the MVP for. Mm. So figuring out who your user is, right? Who your customer is, or, or whatever. And so then you can start diving into how might I test this? You know, mm. if if the user. So in that case, the 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 um, the, that Glenview school was the basically the recipient and the user of that uh, MVP. Mm. So I knew who to go and ask if this thing was going to work, right? So, so often someone will have an idea that might have grown out of them having a desire for a thing, a want or a need, but they haven't identified who the actual customer is, right? Because it's probably not going to be them, really. You know, they're trying to do something for someone else, usually. And if they can't ask them and test their idea with them, that specific person, um, then they're not getting true a true gauge on if it's useful. You know, there's no point in me going to Kahu 
my little four-year-old behind us and, and saying, Kahu, do you reckon um, you would enjoy a story about, um, I'll go the story that, I've, that I'm editing at the moment, where, you know, colonisation was a thing that happened to us as New Zealanders in 50 years' time, but I framed it up as if it was back in the day. Would that mm. be interesting to you? You know, there's no point in me asking mm. him that. He's not mm. the target audience. Yeah. Um, but, you know, someone who is the target audience, that's who I should be asking that of. Mm. What about consistency when getting an idea started? Yep. Um, so consistency as in carrying on with from that idea through to the end of it, yep. like the, the idea staying the same. Yep. So definitely that that corridor about, you know, your values being in pen and your strategies being in pencil is, is really important because what you're testing, right, is whether or not you have the right idea. So if I'd written that, if I if I had that idea of shoebox Christmas and not had that idea, if, if um, my mate Mel had you know gifted me this idea, um, and I'd gone to Glenview Primary and I'd gone, no no, fifty percent of the kids here don't celebrate Christmas because of their religion, um, you know, for me to be consistent with that idea would have been no no look I'm just gonna and again you read this in those those motivational quotes all the time right like no no push through with your idea you know it doesn't matter if you know they'll come around you know don't listen to the naysayers like mm. actually if the naysayers are the people who you're doing the thing for like bro listen to them because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's not a dumb idea but it's just not you haven't you haven't uh, got to what it looks like in yeah. real life yet yeah. um, because actually maybe the best thing to do was a birthday present for the mm. for those kids you know um, and that would have been half as useful if I'd gone ahead and gone Christmas gifts for everybody mm. and 50% of the kids were like this is actually really offensive to me and I can't take it home yeah exactly um, <laughs> um, so yeah so, con so cons but consistent to my value would have been I want to use my relationship with this school uh, to give these kids a cool experience mm. you know maybe it was birthday presents maybe it was you know putting on a class trip for them mm. to know, but the value needs to be consistent. And it, and it is if you are acting on your values. Mm. If you're acting on someone else's values, um, which is what a lot of us do in our nine to fives, right? We go and work for places um, whose values are different to ours and we find out that we don't enjoy it and that's when it becomes a mission to get to work. Mm. What about when it comes to the consistency of always showing up? I feel like a lot of people, they can set up if it's like a business or a new idea, they might be really pumped up. And I've had it, to be honest, with the podcast at times to time mm. um, where, you know, consistency can lack. Mm. How do you personally keep yourself co so consistent across all of the different kaupapa which you're mm. across? I mean, I probably don't. So I guess the, the, the thing I'll say is that if you, um, if you start a thing and, you, and, and the value is aligned and you are enjoying the work, then you'll be consistent with it, right? Then, then you'll carry on doing it. If you start a thing, because you've got to remember, people who have different, um, you know, different personalities make you better at different things, right? Yeah. There, there's, you know, people talk about starters, people who are good at starting things and yeah. can't finishing things. That's a real thing. Like, yeah. you know, people's, the way people think and the way they, their default, the way they, they, they the where they go with their default uh, pattern of thinking makes them better at starting things mm. than carrying on with it, right? And I'm, I'm, Kind of like that, but I'm probably a bit more in the middle than only being a, a starter. Yep. Um, but I find the things that I stick at, because yeah, the things I stick at are the things that the where the value is aligned with what I care about, and the mahi is mahi that I enjoy. Obviously, there's still the being able to prioritise the time, the mm. actual fit, the mm. physical ability to do that. Right, we we only have 24 hours, and I have about 17 awake hours, so you know, there's still always going to be stuff that you can't prioritise. Yeah. And during different times of your life, you know, like, you know, when you have a, a, a whanau or a kid makes mm. you have an entirely different calendar than someone who totally. doesn't. Um, but so the we, what I have have found is that if I think that a thing is a good idea and I think I'm enjoying the work and I don't continue with it after a while, that's actually been a test and a learning, right? Maybe I didn't enjoy that work as much as I, as I thought I did. Um, you know, and, and that's cool. You know, if, if that I, if that work is not something that I love doing enough to prioritise the time to do, mm. um, then, well, mm. I don't love that work enough to prioritise the time to do it. Yeah, time <laughs> to shift and do something different. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And again, if my values are the same, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty useless with my podcast, um, but the... Let's give it a plug. What's it called? <laughs> Paperbackgorillas.co.nz. Um, but the, va the values that drive me to do it are my knowing that role models are really, really important, mm. um, especially for Māori. And so I, I do focus on, on Māori role models. Um, 
I know that those are important and I know that and believe that I have some leverage there that I can use to bring that to life. Mm. Um, you know, I don't always get to do it through my podcast as often as I as I would like to, but the Sadangatahi coaching program is is exactly that, right? So part of the the um, the way it works is that we have these, we focus on particular skills um, and then we go and apply those skills into the um, the phase of the project that we're at at the moment. So whether it be sign-ups, managing relationships mm-hmm. with schools, um, resilience, all the different parts of basically project management, yeah. pro- program management. Um, but but we also then bring in, um, you know, mates who are good at these different things to talk to them about that. And wherever possible, they are Māori role models, mm. you know. So my values and the bringing to life of those values is happening in this rangatahi leadership kaupapa. Um, but, you know, that means that I don't have as much time as I did for the podcast yeah. at this time last year. And, and that's cool, you know. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't get too upset about it, you know. I always get a little bit annoyed mm. at myself. But mm. I think there's always things you can always rely back on in, t- in terms of your passions. Mm. And like podcasting, for example, it's always there. Yeah. You pick up yeah, a yeah, microphone, yeah. you can get going in a yeah. second or get somebody in similar to what we're doing. Mm. I think that transitions us really nicely into role models and role role modeling especially for for rangatahi for younger men in particular when i look across society at the moment my instagram feeds just you know news media everything it's filled up with this guy andrew tate Mm -hmm. he's everywhere um and there's obviously a part of society which isn't reaching these these young boys which People like Andrew Tate, they're looking up to him, mm. who's a misogynist. You know, everything he stands for is just probably against everything which we do. Mm. Um, what do you think is sort of missing at the moment? What are the gaps which need filling mm. in Arangatahi, which they're not currently getting? Mm. Um, so I think the biggest thing, the, the biggest gap when I think about society and I think about the reason that people like him can have a platform and the reason for a bunch of other things we have, right, actually goes back to... You're good. Sorry, bro. No, no, no worries. Okay. Um, if you're listening in audio, my, my little boy just came up and needed his, um, his, his Netflix uh, show reset. Multitasking. Yeah. Um, I, I actually think the biggest gap in society that we have and that creates those issues is that collectiveness thing that, that I was talking about. You know, the the more we have people who are just focused on their individual success and not thinking about how they can contribute back into their collective. Um, and again, like, this is easy for me to see because, you know, in, um, you know, our, our iwi and our, our Māori rōpū or Māori groupings still exist. You know, in, in a sense, we're really lucky. Well, we are really lucky that that is true. Um, we still have those groupings and we still can, you know, nowhere near where we used to, but can to a tiny degree compared to, you know, Western society mm-hmm. operate as a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty hard. Like if, if you were to go and ask people here, like what is your collective grouping that you that you feed back into and you receive mm-hmm. from? Um, oh, I don't know. Like my, my like I've got a you know maybe you were lucky enough to live on a friendly street, right? Yeah. Um, and so if I think about that, um, you know, the, the resilience being a thing of how you being really a, a um a measure of how well your environment interacts with itself and with you that's how resilient you are you know a street that is connected as a community uh there's an earthquake right in wellington not that big surprise there's an earthquake in wellington and there's a street there who are all connected and there's a the street over parallel to them are just a bunch of individuals the street who are connected you know they're sharing their water you know someone's got a civil defense bucket of water like mm. my neighbor actually has one of them Kelda Richie. um <laughs> You know, and he's connected with his street, and so he's sharing that with everyone else's water is cut off, you know. The power's cut off too. Someone else over the road from us has got, um, you know, a little generator because they're an event hire mm. dude. Mm. And so he's got that running um, at night, and everyone can go around there and, you know, warm up on the heater. Mm. Um, someone else down the road's actually got a big, uh, um, one of those outdoor fires, so we're able to go and cook, cook food out there. Mm. You know, that street is resilient. The street over parallel to them, they're all individuals. Yeah, there might be a dude who's got a heater or a generator to run the heater, but he doesn't have any water. You know, the the dude with the civil defense bucket of water doesn't have anywhere where he can cook his meat. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that can, so 
yeah, that's I've kind of gone off track. But you know, if you if you ask somebody, what is your community and your connect your collectiveness? Um, most people don't know what that is. Most, mm. you know, Māori who are lucky enough to be connected to the iwi can will often say, "Oh, my iwi, rah, 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 rah. But um, because we don't have that hundred role models that I had growing up in Ōtaki, often, um, though, you know, the, if a, if a boy grows up in Ōtaki and Ōtaki isn't still able to, they haven't been able to retain. Uh, their mana motuhaki or their kind of freedom and, and um, independence, they are then just all of those young people growing up are open to whoever has the loudest voice, right? Mm. Whoever's got the, the biggest platform and whoever's yeah. talking the most, whoever's yeah. posting the most and yeah. reaching the most people on Instagram. Yeah. That's who their role model is. If you have that kid growing up and he's got 100 role models who are nearby him, who are actually feeding him all of this positive stuff, mm. um, or her, all of this positive stuff, all of these options, you know, you could be a fisher person, you could be a farmer, you could be a, um, you know, work, create community um, kaupapa and work mm. there. You know, you could be a computer developer. All of these things that you're seeing in your collective, in your community, and who you are connected enough and who are close enough to you for you to believe, oh, I could actually be that. Mm. You know, it's not just me seeing it. I mean, I can see Elon Musk. That doesn't mean I think I can be him. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I can also see, you know, Tamihana up the road in Porirua was a computer developer. You know, mm. if, if, if he'd lived down the road from me, I'd be like, oh, choice. I mm. could be a computer developer too. Yeah. He's, he's, he's actually Fanonga. He's yeah. our relation. So, you know, that that lack of collectiveness and um, the, the kind of championing of individualistic, often capitalistic um, approaches to life mean that you leave these rangatahi out on their own, you know, because you're too focused on you doing your thing and succeeding mm. in your business, and you know, I want to get another car, and you know, we just, uh, all, I'm, I'm only doing these extra hours so that we can get the the next story built on the house. It's like, mm. you, if, if if money is only useful for feeding people, what do you need another story on your house for? You know, mm. I love that. I love that, and I think that is so tied into probably some of the uh the feelings that we have growing up in New Zealand around um you know imposter syndrome mm. as well um or tall tall poppy syndrome mm. where you shoot you you shoot down other people who are achieving and mm. that's something which I've had a conversation on with pretty much the, the majority of the guests on the podcast and I remember when I had Jahan Casanada come on, who's, you know, a brilliant journalist, presenter, one journalist of the year, and he's literally sat here and, you know, interviewed the Prime Minister. Mm. And I was like, holy crap, how the hell am I going to, like, interview <laughs> yeah, the yeah. interview master? Yeah. And someone like him who's so comfortable, from what it seems, in his own shoes, asking him, has he experienced imposter syndrome mm. or tall poppy syndrome, all of these things? He's like, yep, all the time. Mm. I just wonder what sort of relationship that has to this sort of focus on individualism. Mm. Um, have you suffered anything around imposter syndrome or experienced tall poppy syndrome? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Probably not. I, I, I don't know if I've experienced tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. I probably have. I mean, when I was doing rap, hip hop, like, tall poppy syndrome was probably just a part of the culture, yeah. you know, like very, um, you know, uh, aggressive, battle-based yeah. co-papa, right? So yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the fact that you were tall, that you were successful, it was the fact that you were another rapper, yeah. so therefore, you know, yeah, yeah, I yeah. should have a go at you, yeah. um, or they should, you should have a go at me. But um, that aside, I think the the imposter syndrome thing is, is really interesting to me. Like I, um, I feel that most often... Uh, well, I, I think I think there was one example where I really noticed that in two worlds that I that I kind of am in, which was um, learning my real Maori, so re relearning the language of, of my of my nana, um, or you know of my my people, but it got cut out of our whakapapa and our family tree at my nana's generation because right. she was you know not allowed to speak it and, and so therefore didn't teach it to my dad, but um. I was at a, a, a Maori writers festival, so I, you know, I mean, I I try to write stories and I enjoy writing stories, and again, it lines up with my values and and I enjoy it, so it's something that I try and do. Um, but I was at this Maori writers festival and I I you know just found myself struggling to have conversations in Te Reo Maori because lots of the people that I was speaking to were at different levels to me, which you know 
that's just the reality of learning anything. Mm. Um, and also, you know, the same was true in the writing. The, the actual conversations were like, oh, these people are so far ahead of, you know, are so far ahead of me. Mm. And and so, again, that is a very individualistic kind of take on what was going on there, right? Um, but, but what I kind of think now about imposter syndrome is that it, it, it is really just me knowing that I'm not yet where I want to be, right? So there's a, it, it's, me, it's me knowing that I'm in the gap between uh, where I started and where I want to be. Mm. Uh, I, I wouldn't be there if I hadn't started, right? Like the way to avoid imposter syndrome is just never putting yourself in a room uh, where you have... Where, where, where you're uncomfortable. Or, yeah, just yeah. never putting yourself in a situation where you're stretching yourself, yeah. you know, where just staying comfortable. That's the only way to avoid imposter syndrome, I think. To me, it is literally just the delta between where you are now and where you want to be. That, that, that is imposter syndrome. Whether or not you choose to think about it in a way that is, you know, that stops you from carrying on moving uh, towards the thing that you want to be is kind of up to you, right? And most of the time when you hear people talk about imposter syndrome, it, it doesn't, it never seems to me like people are saying it stops them from doing something. It's just an uncomfortable um yeah, it's just discomfort, right? It's, it's going, that little voice in your head, yeah. which is like, you're not good enough. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And and I, I mean, I think that probably comes from, I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean, I haven't, I don't study any of this thing or anything, but, you know, I, I think that just comes from what your frame of reference is, right? If you've gone, that's what I want to be like, you know, I really want to be like Noah. I really want to have this podcast that is, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, whatever the measures are that I've, um, that you have made visible that mm. I think I want to be um, and then I've gone that's what I need to be and I'm not that yet and I feel crap about that you know um, that to me is what imposter syndrome mm. is um, which is just you learning or mm. you growing mm. um, and knowing and being aware of your growth yeah. but, in, but instead of labeling it as you know uh, I'm not yet where I want to be or I'm not growing uh, I haven't yet grown to where I want to grow to. Mm. We call it imposter syndrome, and we kind of frame it negatively, which I, which I, I don't think is a is a good thing. Mm. You know, I think imagine if we talked about that, like I talk about with in, in, with our rangatahi in this leadership program. The um, and this comes from stuff that I learned from Alana Marriott and um, and Matua Dennis, who've, who've coached me in different things. But you know, they talk about. Um, the the comfort zone, the stretch zone, and the red zone, right? So your your red zone is your breaking point, and um, when you're learning something, comfort zone, uh, and you can think about it as three kind of concentric circles: your comfort zone in the middle, stretch zone, and then red zone. If you're in the comfort zone, well, you're never going to experience imposter syndrome, and you're never going to grow. You you just stay uncomfortable. When you're in that um, that stretch zone, that's where you're learning, and that's where you're growing. Uh, when you're at the break point, you know that's where okay, actually, you know I've, I've I'm I don't want to carry on doing this, and maybe that's where you know if if you frame it consistently as imposter syndrome, and you only think about how you are uh, not capable of doing what you want to do, that is probably when you end up stopping it, I guess. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, I really like trying to frame it in a way where you're thinking about yeah. the fact that you are growing and stretching, and yeah. that's what that feels like. Yeah, and there's a fantastic quote as well when you mention the sort of comparison piece. If you see somebody you're striving towards, whether it's a a goal or a KPI, it's um, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah, you know, you're yeah, always yeah. looking <clears> over <throat> your neighbor's house, or yeah. the grass is always greener on the other side. Mm. And, um, again, and so then again, like if you can go back to that doing the stuff that lines up with your values mm. and thinking intentionally about that being the reason that you're doing it, which is something that I actually intentionally do. So I have a, um, a set of about nine questions that I ask myself each morning, how well did I do in this? And there's, there's about nine of them. And one of them is about finding meaning in what I was doing. Did I find meaning in what I was doing yesterday? Um, and if my meaning is being the same as Noah, well, I mean, no offense to you, bro, but that's a pretty stink meaning. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what do you mean? I really need to go back and rethink, like, why am I doing yeah, that? If yeah. I'm doing that just to achieve the same, uh, you know, to be able to successfully compare myself to mm. Noah, well, I'm going to rob myself of my joy, mm. you know, no doubt, mm. because I'm not Noah. Mm. If I am comparing myself to my ability to be a good um, descendant of my people, the people who, you know, literally gave their life for me to be here and, you know, gave up their, you know, had to let go of their language in order to keep living. Um, and I'm trying to be a good ancestor to, you know, my grandchildren and their grandchildren and my, my son, Kahu, and my daughter, Huhana. If that's what I'm trying to compare myself to, mm. uh, 
I'm not going to feel imposter syndrome because I know that that's a, that's just stuff that I keep have to keep doing. There's mm. no there's no measure of that. Mm. Mm. Before we wrap up, um, we've got some quick fire questions, mm-hmm. um, but I did just want to ask you, Peter, what is what is your why? What gets mm. you up out of bed every morning? Then I hydrate for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, conveniently, because you, you, you're such a good question asker, bro, asker of questions, um, it's, it's, we've kind of already talked about it. Like, I mean, my why is being a good descendant of the people that I'm from. Mm. Um, and that goes right up. That's my mum and my dad, my nana, my great-grandma, great-great-great, all yep. the way, um, you know, and I can go back about 10 generations, mm. kind of trying to do justice to the fact that they've allowed me to be here, right? Mm. They're the reason I'm here. Trying to do justice to the fact that my iwi is the reason that I'm here, that that I've received so much from them. And then trying to be a good, um, yeah, like I say, a- ancestor to um, to my, the, the, the people who come from me in the future, you know, my issue, um, the and do work that I love doing, you know, mm. and, and, and I am really intentional about that. So, you know, I, like I literally have three jobs at the moment. Um, because those are things that I know will achieve those things, those um, those aspirations and those values, uh, and I enjoy doing them, and so that's what I should spend my time doing. Mm. Um, it does, you know, that 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 makes it hard to to always it, to find enough time for Fano is probably the mm. the the part of that that I struggle with the most. Um, even though I measure myself on that as well, you know, um, but I but I. And I'm just going off topic now, just because I'm thinking about it. Hopefully, it no, doesn't, doesn't have to be a, too quick fire. Big question. I think I think you asked you you answered it really nicely around your why. Yeah, that cool. was good. Um, where can people keep in touch with with you and your mahi, bro? Uh, so if you go to, depends what you want to keep in touch with me about. I guess like my Instagram, I think is at Peter Barrett. Um, I could probably check. I oh, know Coast got my phone. Uh, at Peter Barrett on Instagram, um, PeterBarrett.com is where I publish like writings and, and random ficaro and ponderings. Mm. Uh, if you want to check out the Shoebox Instagram, that's uh, Shoebox Christmas underscore Kohatri. Um, just a, a sneaky heads up, Kohatri is the the platform that Shoebox will sit upon later on in life. Um, just kind of preempting that. With the with the gram, um, yeah. If you need to email, if you want to email me and ask anything, then peter.barrett at gmail.com. Um, it's funny working with Rangatahi, and then it's like, don't worry about email yeah. or Facebook. No, like, yeah. <laughs> I'll just Instagram, message you on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like a DM. Um, which, which is actually annoying because like it's Instagram is not set up as a messaging platform. Nah. Rangatahi ma. Um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, probably probably those places are the best. Awesome. Yep. Cool, and we'll fire some some links into the description of this episode, whether you're watching it on Spotify or YouTube or wherever the hell you're watching it or listening. Um, okay, moving to some quick fire questions, then we'll end on a quick quote. Um, Peter, what is the meaning of life? Mm. To enjoy your enjoy the privilege of being here. Uh, and make sure it's, if not better than when you left it, at least there's good. What brings you true happiness? Finding ways to make my, to make my ancestors proud and make my descendants proud in by spending time that I love spending. Um, and that's a big, vague attempt at sounding philosophical. Uh, <laughs> but really that just means what I was saying before. Yeah, like yeah. being a good ancestor, being a good descendant, uh, doing the things that I love doing. Mm. Um, and like if I think about like Kahu is here right now, right, my, my four-year-old, and that a lot of that actually just now means – enjoying the little things and intentionally enjoying the little things, Mm. which might just be, so today is one of the few days that I've had in the last few months where I haven't had anything else on, right, except for this cool little. And so I've just been hanging out with Ko and we've just been doing things, but being me actually intentionally enjoying that time and going, I have the opportunity to spend time with Mm. my four-year-old 
and so I'm going to enjoy it because what I see heaps of in sober, I've gone right off your no, quick no, no, fight thing, but like you see so often parents especially, like parenting is hard, right? And again, back to that quoted all before about collectiveness. And, and, and I think we've talked about this as well before. Parenting is hard because we try and do it on our own. You know, parenting is hard because we try and work while we're parenting and we go, you know, we've set up this not collective um, societal structure where we go, you guys should move out of your mum and dad's house and have your own house with, you know, if it's a nuclear um, family, it's you've got your two parents there and you've got your however many kids and you just do your thing, right? Mm. And, you know, actually you probably both want to work because that's the right thing to do as well to fulfil yeah. your personal ambitions. Um, and so then how are you going to be raising a kid and doing that at the same time? Mm. It's tricky. It's just hard. Back in the day, you had your aunties and your uncles and the rest of the the, the village or the iwi or the hapu or mm. the community. They all helped, right? Mm. <clears throat> Everyone was doing it. So we've gone so far from that. And, um, and so, I, you know, you see and you hear parents trying to balance all those things and instead of enjoying the time that they have with their kids, they're, you know, snapping and getting hoha mm. and, you know, one of the things that I check myself on each morning in this this list of questions is, did I transfer, well, it's it's, the, it's about the quality of time with my kids and, it, and one of the questions is, did I transfer any of my hoha to my kids, any of my annoyance to my mm. kids? And um, because what I found I was doing was like, I, you know, I'd be in the middle of doing something and, and one of these guys would come and ask a question or they'd be doing something, they'd, they'd be getting into a scrap or, or something mm. over there. And I'd snap at them and I'd and I'd um, and I'd get angry at them way outside the scale of what was what they were doing, right? Yeah. And so it was nothing at all to do with what they were doing. Yeah. It was everything to do with what I was doing. Mm. Um, and so I realised I was I'm just transferring my annoyance at either being interrupted or at this thing that I, that mm. is already annoying me over here that I'm doing. Um, and so I've I've intentionally tried to make sure that I'm just enjoying the little things which mm -hmm. are just you know going uh, like what did we do today we um, uh, we cleared some of the drains out the the back of our house we um, did a bit of digging we did some moved a couple of logs around the place Every mundane things right yeah <laughs> mundane things to me but um you know actually that and uh, you know Dr. Hinemua Alda said this in our podcast, that, you know, parent, the, the important thing about parenting that she, she was saying like, you know, there's no such thing as quality time with your kids. Like what they, well, no, there's not no such thing, but what it's not the quality time that's important. It's actually the quantity of time and the meat and potatoes, she called it, of parenting, just being there mm. and spending time with your kids and making that stuff good and enjoyable. Right. And so when we were doing that stuff, I was, you know, I'm 100% focused on just enjoying that with mm. him. I'm not, which, which is actually hard for me because pretty much every minute of the day I'm trying to solve something in my head. Yep. I've got some problem or something that I'm trying to figure out what to do with or, or how to attack or how to approach. Mm. But in you know that you know for that however many hours we were doing that mahi, I'm just focused on that and I'm enjoying that little thing yeah. of just spending time with Kahu. Yeah. Um, and so you know you had some other quality on there about mental health and well-being. You know that for me is really important. It's mm. making sure that when I am um, spending time just doing the things I enjoy doing, not for other people, not for anything else. They're mm. just things that I like the process of, mm. which includes time with with these guys, right? Mm. Uh, that I am actually enjoying it and I'm intentionally. Uh, yeah, enjoying the little things. Yeah, and it's always slipping away from us. Those, yeah, well, exactly. th those little moments. In, in, in six years' time, he'll be ten and maybe too cool for me. You exactly. Know? In six years' time, Huhana will be uh, twelve and she'll definitely be. Well, no, what will she be? Fourteen. She'll definitely be too cool for me by fourteen. <laughs> like we're not going to be hanging out, um, planting beans in the garden. No, <laughs> you got to treasure this, these moments. Eh? Yeah. you really do. Um, no, that, that was an awesome quote at all, bro. Um, back back to the quick fires. Mm -hmm. Advice you wish you knew about when you were younger? Uh, you can find work that you love doing and you should. Nice. What does legacy mean to you? Uh, making, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of that, the, the corridor around making life better for my descendants as legacy right so i don't i don't like the idea of you know when people go what is your legacy you know i'm leaving this as my legacy um i don't want to leave a thing i don't want to leave anything behind unless it is useful to the people who come next right mm. the people who, who are coming um in front of us so 
there's no point in me. If I think about things like Shoebox Christmas or the Sadangatai Leadership Program or a book or a whatever, there's no point in that unless it is useful and good and serves uh, the people who, who come after us. Mm. So legacy to me is doing things that are useful and makes life better mm. for the people who come next mm. and not getting caught up in being, this is my legacy, mm. you know, caught up in leaving something to leave something. Mm. You know, people want to leave a legacy, but that's kind of like saying, I want to open a shop. Like, why are you opening a shop? What are you going to sell? Who's it for? You know, what are you doing? You, you don't just make a shop in, for the purpose of building a building. Yeah. You know, unless you're a builder. Yeah. And yeah. what you're leaving is, uh, here's how you build a building. Mm. You know, like an empty shop that you've left because you wanted to leave a legacy serves nobody. Mm. Uh, if you leave a shop and it's full of food and kai that other people can eat in the future, awesome. That's mm. a legacy worth leaving. But mm. don't leave a legacy just to leave a legacy. Mm. Make sure you know what you're leaving behind. It's intentional. I yeah. like that. Um, if you could change one thing in New Zealand, what would this be? Uh, it's already, I mean, it'll, it'll happen through some of this fertility mm. education stuff that's happening in schools, but just better understanding and empathy of others, you know, better understanding, better awareness even that there are others who you can understand, mm. you know, that not everybody thinks like me. Uh, because for a, such a young country we've got a we've obviously got a real short memory mm. um in being aware of the fact that we have different people who need different things um and not everybody wants it to be the way i want it to be mm. um mm. which you understand when you've been in a country when you're in a country where you've existed as a society for for hundreds and hundreds of years right yeah things move on but I feel like in, in Aotearoa we're pretty useless at going alright like actually this is the way I view it but there's a whole other group over here and if you think about things like the health reforms for example mm. the, the amount of people who are like that, you know that's a stupid idea whereas if you looked at the stats and the, the, the health outcomes for Māori you would have to go the system does not work yeah. probably because that is a, a group of people who um are not the people who made the system. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. a, the, so maybe we should change it. Yeah. Um, Comes back to that sort of human-centered design stuff yeah. you were talking about, easy, like, you know, earlier around testing mm. things with people who are actually going to be consuming the products. Exactly. And mm. not just going, well, actually, this works for me, so it'll work for everybody else. Yeah. Totally, man. I feel like we could yarn about that <laughs> for another hour as well. <laughs> um, okay, la last one, then we'll end on a quote. What do you believe is the main thing that is holding back young people in New Zealand? The old people in New Zealand. Boom. That is so good. <laughs> um, another one of my, th that's probably my, my favourite response to that. My other mate, Corin, who I, who I had on the podcast, his response was vapes. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Um, so this is a quote by Jim Whitaker. I actually heard the quote before finding out who it was. He's the first American to summit Mount Everest. Um, it's really short and sweet, but I really like it. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Peace. Thanks, Peter. Hold up.